0: Well, as Chuck said, today we do continue on in our study of the book of Jonah, we had off from the book last week, so it might be helpful to, to quickly calibrate ourselves. So as we've seen um, at the beginning, God had called Jonah to a, to a task, to go to Nineveh to tell them that God's wrath was coming upon them. Um, well, um, That was Jonah's enemy, so he was not very eager for this endeavor. So he fled in exactly the opposite direction. As we saw, God sovereignly sent a storm to thwart Jonah's rebellion. That's what he does. Then he sent a fish to swallow up Jonah to keep him from drowning after he was tossed into the sea. The fish vomited Jonah up. He shakes himself off, and this time he set his face towards Nineveh to deliver the word of the Lord which we saw in chapter 3, verse 4, he said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Well, God sharpened the arrows of Jonah's words, so they cut through the dense fog of the evil shrouding the city of Nineveh, and they went straight into the heart of the king, which is amazing. And then the king called for a national day of prayer and repentance and fasting, the king of Nineveh, the most evil city probably in the known world at the time, at the preaching of, of, of Jonah, called for a national day of repentance. A couple weeks ago, we sent our friends the Lowe's back to, to Indonesia um, to go uh, and continue on their missionary work there. Indonesia has the highest Muslim population in the world. I think it's around 87%. Um, Imagine if the Lowe's called us this week and said that after their first attempt to preach the gospel, the president was there. The president got converted, and now through all the news outlets, he's encouraging the country to turn to Christ, and in fact, they all have. That's what it would be like. That's what happened in Nineveh. That's what Jonah had been a part of. So he must have been elated, right? I mean, what could be more joy-inducing for a missionary, a prophet, especially one who still had the stench of fish on him to remind him of his need of salvation that he had just received. This would be very exciting, right? Well, not so fast. The end of chapter three again. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And then now we turn to our text today. But it is, Displeased Jonah exceedingly. That's an interesting response. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. The Hebrew word, therefore, displeased, is actually evil. So Jonah literally said to God, What you have done is exceedingly evil here in saving these people. Can you imagine that? An entire evil empire has bent their knee to God. And Jonah says, this is exceedingly evil. And he's supposed to be the good guy. Right? Right. Jesus tells us in Luke that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 who have no need of repentance. Imagine the heavenly celebration when an entire city repents. And what does the prophet of God say? This is exceedingly evil. Yes, Jonah had been saved from the dark confines of that stinking fish, but he was still locked inside the small and suffocating world of bitterness and self. Jonah was the center of his solar system, especially his pain, and everything else orbited around that. But God would not get caught up in his awful gravity, and Jonah was bitter About it. What you have done is exceedingly evil here. It points to a very important subtext of this story. God didn't choose Jonah just to go to Nineveh to save them, God chose Jonah to go to Nineveh to help save himself. Remember that it was just a few days prior that Jonah had experienced a sort of spiritual. Renaissance, remember the end of his prayer in the belly of the fish? Two verses nine. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is what Jonah had just said. You see the spiritual amnesia here? And the truth is, an exciting season of personal revival where God's felt presence is rich and our love for him is aflame can often be mistaken for spiritual maturity. But this is not the case. Yes, God might use an explosion to get our spiritual engine started, but after the initial high wears up, he will start to peel back the layers of our hearts and to reveal to us the actual depths of our brokenness. An entire city repents, this is exceedingly evil to me because it hurts me, which we will get to. Nineveh's repentance didn't cause Jonah's anger. It merely agitated a bitter nerve that was already there. And it's the same for us. Everything in our life, especially the hard stuff, has been ordained by God to reveal to us the truth of ourselves. To reveal just how much saving we needed and how much work he has to do to prepare us for glory. So here's where we're going to go today with with this text. We're going to zoom in, and we're going to walk through the door of Jonah's anger, and we're going to ask this question. What is the anatomy of Jonah's anger? What is it comprised of? How did the prophet of God get to this place where he now thinks the salvation of Nineveh is exceedingly evil in his sight? So the first two points will be four total. The first two are kind of implicit, taken from Jonah as a whole, the whole story, the whole narrative. And then the final two will be more explicit from the text. So come along with me. And so doing, I think some of us will be revealed. And you tell me if you see here what I think the text is saying. What is the anatomy of Jonah's anger? Well, the first thing is this. His body is exhausted. His body is exhausted. The verse that probably embodies this most explicitly is verse 3 in our text today, where he laments, Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Now, it might be easy to miss this. It's easy to read this and think, How could Jonah go off the rails so quickly? But well, this brother's been through the ringer. He has taken flight to Tarshish, he was in storm at sea, was thrown overboard, was swallowed by a fish, then vomited, then he made the journey through the gates of his enemy to preach to them of their impending doom. This is a heck of a week. Um, So he's exhausted, and he's in a really fragile state, and while I would say out of the four, this is probably the most surface, it's not insignificant. And it helps to kind of humanize this situation, right? Right? I mean, friends, we're all Jonah. That's the reality of this story. If you're a parent, you know that being exhausted um, is a cue for the emotional ungluing of a little one, right? If a baby starts to just become unglued, what are the two primary reasons? Either they're hungry or they're tired. And this points to a very significant reality. We are holistic beings. And if we don't get proper rest, if we don't have a rhythm of Sabbath, we will be in an emotionally fragile state. That's just the reality. Everything is connected. The physical is connected to the spiritual, is connected to the emotional. And this is why God has given us the rhythm, uh, rhythm of, of Sabbath. So that we can be emotionally healthy. Um, do you have... A rhythm of Sabbath. How is that going for you, by the way, in, in Los Angeles? It's hard to have a good rhythm of rest here. In fact, being busy is often actually seen as a, as a virtue in our culture often, right? Doesn't it feel good to say, I was so busy this week? It just feels productive. Uh, but the reality is it's, it's not a virtue if it's at the expense of your emotional health, which then gets projected onto your family. You might say, I need to provide for my family where there's more ways to provide than just financially. Do you have a rhythm of rest? Furthermore, friends, we have a very real enemy who understands our fragile condition far more than we get it. You think that um, Satan wasn't present in any of this with Jonah? The evil empire of Nineveh had just turned to God. You think that he wasn't upset about that? You think he might not have taken aim at the prophet who was responsible for this? Jonah's body was exhausted, and he was very vulnerable to this attack. Think of when our Lord went to go prepare for ministry. He went 40 days into the wilderness to fast and pray. When did the enemy tempt him? Was it at the beginning when he was strong and could withstand the temptation easily because of uh, physical fortitude it was not it was at the end of the 40 days it says when he had completed 40 days then the tempter came to him the point is rest is not just a physical act it is a spiritual act we need to be uh, have a rhythm of sabbath and a, a rhythm of rest because god has created us this way and if we get that off hinged will be more vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. So, how are you doing here? Something I've personally tried to implement to my daily rhythm, just so I can even have touch points during the day, is at noon and four, I've set an alarm that just when it goes off, I have a little book that guides me through like five-minute devotional, just to kind of recenter myself. And, And as I was working on this exact part of the sermon that went off, and this was the text that the book had me read, uh, Isaiah 40, it says, uh, The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And I sense that that wasn't an accident. Jonah was utterly exhausted And it's no stretch to assume this contributed to this embittered outburst. So first, there's that. Next, his ego is embattled. Jonah's ego is embattled. So where do you see yourself as the most competent? Like, what is, like, your thing, your area of expertise? How do you feel when somebody uh, questions that? Somebody challenges that? Somebody offers you a suggestion on how you can do that thing better. Jonah was a prophet. Remember what he said to Nineveh? This is back in chapter 3. Jonah called out, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was the end. And the people of Nineveh believed God, and when God saw what they did, he relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them. So notice how nowhere in this account... Does Jonah actually let them know that repentance is actually an option on the table? Clearly, it, it was. That's what happened. That's what God's intention was. But that wasn't what Jonah was interested in. He was interested in going and declaring the impending judgment of Nineveh. But God didn't comply. God decided that grace would win the day. And so Jonah took the fall, pride-wise, not Nineveh. And for me, this can rear its ugly head in a minute. I I might say that I don't mind being critiqued or corrected. Oh, but man, when it happens, it takes all my energy. I bend it on it to keep the legal defense team that rises up in me (laughs) to let you know just how brilliant and wonderful I actually am. Oh, I hate to be corrected. It's like those lizards, when they're challenged, they puff up as big as they can, right, just to show this is all that I got. I'm like a puffy lizard when I'm corrected, right? I never thought I'd say that through a mic, and I just did. That's what happens. We hate it when our pride is assailed. And this most certainly happened to Jonah here. Jonah was a prophet with vengeance in his veins. He spoke for God, and he would be the mouth that brought Nineveh to her knees, But God decided that grace would have the final say. Jonah wanted to be God's hype man, as it were, for Nineveh's destruction. But God said, no, Nineveh will be saved because I am a gracious God, because that's what kind of God I am. And Jonah was not happy happy about this. His body was exhausted and his ego was embattled. And thirdly, his enemy, namely Nineveh, had unearthed a deep anguish and now we're kind of starting to get more to the core here. His enemy unearthed a deep anguish. Let's look at verse 2 again. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting, From disaster. Wow. We're moving closer in. We see that, yes, Jonah was a prophet of God, but Jonah was a profoundly wounded man as well. See, God doesn't wait for us to become perfect before he uses us, and praise God for that. He wouldn't have a very deep bench, he wouldn't even have a starting lineup if that was the case, right? He uses us where we're at in our ministry to expose our wounds and our weakness and our sin. There's been a debate in the v- environmental world recently concerning this issue of, of fracking. Have you heard of that? It's a real word. I didn't make it up and I didn't just swear. Fracking. And it's a, it's a technique to get deep down into the earth to uncover some raw oil down there. And th- they drill down and they have this high-pressured water that goes down and breaks up the rock so that they have access to the oil. That's what God is doing to Jonah here. He's doing some deep level fracking of his soul to show the deep pain that really is there. God doesn't wait for our compliance to say this is an okay technique. He will do whatever it takes to reveal to us the truth of ourselves. Jonah hated Nineveh, friends. And this wasn't for no reason. Nineveh was a very evil place. They were bent on world domination. They had oppressed Israel. Was Jonah's parents involved in that? Was his grandparents involved in that? These are generational wounds. You don't just wake up somebody and hate somebody at that depth of a level. Jonah had some wounds here, and this had uncovered those wounds. This is not insignificant. This is not just like a childish outburst. It's as if the scab that covered the wound in Jonah's soul had been ripped open. Now all that bitter pain was oozing out. See, before this whole ordeal, if you would have asked Jonah if he was a compassionate, forgiving person, he probably would have said, relatively speaking, I'm pretty good. I'm a prophet. I know God's law. I abide by it as close as I can. Externally, he played a good religious part, But God knew the one well in his heart that still pumped toxic blood in there. And that's what he pressed on. Because that's what he was after. Unfolding Jonah, this is still in your hearts. And it's bitter and it's poisoning you. Who is it for you? Who is that person for you? Just their name, oh man, causes you to cringe. Maybe it's God. Even on Mother's Day. Maybe that brings up something. Who is it for you? John Calvin says it this way. As long as everything is going smoothly and pleasantly, we present ourselves with a kind of gentleness. But in reality, how few there are who can maintain such a superficial appearance of modesty when they are jabbed and aggravated. This is what God was doing to Jonah. And it was intentional. He wasn't just trying to save them. He was trying to save Jonah. He would save Jonah. God means to make us solid throughout. And the parts of our hearts that have been decayed through bitterness, he will ultimately expose so that he can fill it with his love. So that he can solidify us. Are you open to that operation? Or do you stamp it down again and again and it just starts leaking out over and over again? God means to unearth that anguish so he can fill it with his love. Who is it for you? I remember back when I used to play music, some of my friends' bands actually made it pretty big and I got to the place where I couldn't even go to shows anymore because it hurt so bad to even be in a music, especially when I stepped away from music. There was a long time where I couldn't go because it it hurt so bad to see that they had made it and I had not. And they weren't my enemies. But my identity was so caught up in that that there was a deep sense of loss and pain that I hadn't made it. And this is one of the hardest parts of becoming more self-aware. You realize, I've got a lot of pain leaking out everywhere. <laughs> Especially when you become self-aware and start to study some of this stuff. You're like, oh dear Lord, I can't believe some of the things I've said. I can't believe how broken I really am. Here's what I want you to hear today. This is God's grace. This is God's grace. The fact that you're aware of deep anguish means God's doing a work in you. This is God's grace. The only way out is through. The only way out is through. If we push it down, it'll just leak out. So God gives Jonah the treatment all in one go, and it is a hard work, and it is a gracious work. Paul, in speaking to the Colossians, was exhorting to them to put to death what was earthly in them, And he mentions obvious sins like sexual immorality and covetousness, but then he goes on to say this in Colossians 3, 8 through 9. But now, you must put all that is earthly away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Notice this this language. It's a continual process of being renewed. I feel this anger. I feel this malice. It erupts in slander. That is not who you are now in Christ. You are in the Spirit. Sometimes, like that, God will heal a wound and praise God when he does. And it's just gone, and you can smile, and you're fine. That's not the normal way. Typically, it's over and over again, applying the balm of his love. And it's a long journey. It's feeling it again, that deep anger, even that deep anger that's become sin, and hating it and praying, Lord, help me. Because the truth is we can't do it in the flesh. We can't do it in ourselves. This is the work of the Spirit. He renews us over and over again. And that's why I actually find this passage to be incredibly encouraging. I really do. It might seem like a low point for Jonah. In some ways, it is. But if we read too quickly, we will miss an incredible combination of words. If we go back to verses one and two, look at the hinge between the two. It says, This displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry and he prayed. Do you see that? He was angry, and he prayed. That is huge. He didn't run away like he did last time. He was angry, and he prayed. Friends, we can come to God with all of our stuff. We don't need to clean ourselves up to come to God. You do realize that, right? You do realize God knows all of your pain all of the stuff you've been through. And oftentimes I feel like God can't handle this, so I create these construction paper leaves and put them all around me and go to God in prayer and say, okay, I've had a good week. I'm doing fine now. Can we talk? And he just says, really? Really? I know the brokenness of your heart. Bring it to me. You know the biggest category of psalms? It's laments. Why have you utterly forsaken me? Jesus quotes the psalms from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Consider this. The Holy Spirit inspired David to write those prayers prayers to teach us to pray. That's important. (laughs) It says you're allowed to talk to God like this because it's only in the truth that healing actually happens. So this is huge. Jonah was angry, and he prayed. This is a miraculous milestone in his spiritual journey. So yeah, there's a lot of ugly stuff down there, but man, healing can start there. Do you do that? Do you go to God in the truth of who you are? And say, Lord, this is the truth of who I am, and I need you to be with me in this place. He's already there. It was in your sin that he died for you. He's not scared of it now, as one of my professors says over and over again. And we even see this at the end of the text. Look at God's response to him. It is so kind. Remember what Jonah had said? He pointed his finger at God and said, what you have done is exceedingly evil. How does God respond to this blasphemy? He says, do you do well to be angry? Essentially, how's this working out for you, Jonah? He's, he's just not put off by it. It's almost like a father sliding up next to a son on a bench, putting his arm around him as he's just raging. And he says, how you doing? This is exactly what God meant to do to Jonah, to get him into this place. And now he's with him in the truth of who he is. He doesn't call down curses on him. He says, how you doing? How you doing? You see it now? It's ugly. I know. Let's work on that. It is a beautiful thing, friends. Run towards God in your anguish. And yes, in your sin, not away. He's not afraid of it. Matt Chandler, the president of x 29, has said, you can tell how much a man gets the gospel by where he runs after he sins. Does he run to God? Does he run away from God? Let's run to God. His body was exhausted and his ego was embattled. His enemy had unearthed the deeper anguish of his soul. And finally, the last piece of this, he had forgotten his own need of grace. Jonah had forgotten his own need of grace, and now we are at the center. It's almost comical, really. Jonah had just been saved from certain death. He had just experienced firsthand the mercy and grace of God, and yet this is the very thing he reprimands God for displaying to Nineveh. "'That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, "'for I knew that you are gracious and merciful.'" and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Today is my three-year anniversary of being at Prism. Did you realize that? The internet told me. Um, I was driving. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, uh, no, that's not the point. That's right. More of that. That's more of that. Um, part of the, the, the trek, I stopped at the Hoover Dam, which is incredible. And picture this, me standing at the Hoover Dam, this massive wall of concrete, which is the only thing saving me from being swept away in a deluge. And now imagine my enemy comes onto the platform, and I say to the operator, Open this dam! And, and he doesn't. And then I start cursing him, because he won't open the dam. You've heard that song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. That's a prayer that I wouldn't want answered. Because you know who else is getting swept away if that dam opens? Me. This is what Jonah says. (laughs) Jonah is the man standing in front of the Hoover Dam, cursing the operator for not opening up, forgetting that he himself is being saved. our, Our spiritual amnesia. How much grace we can have with ourselves and how often we hate it when we see it displayed towards others. And friends, that's why at PRISM, the gospel is the center of all that we do. It is. It's not just the thing that saves you. You may have grown up thinking that the gospel is Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Here's that on the timeline. Now this is something different. The gospel is the rising sun of our lives every day, where we bask afresh in what God has done for us in Christ. And then that reorients our lives, that colors everything we do. The gospel colors everything. What is the antidote antidote for anger and bitterness? It's basking in the light of the gospel. In the flesh, you are probably justified in your anger, forgetting all the people you may have hurt along the way. But in that moment, you feel justified. That's why the ground is level at the foot of the cross. People who live beneath the cross aren't quick to curse God for showing grace to others because they recognize It took that to save me. And it's true. That's what Christ has done. He tore down the dividing wall of hostility between you and God. And man, when you dive into that spring and let that wash over you, it'll change the way you feel about others. It'll be a salve on the deepest and most aggravated pains. That's why we need the gospel day after day, because I forget it every day. The Apostle John helps us here. 1 John 4, he says, we love because he first loved us. We love, why? Because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love His brother. So I ask you again, how are you doing here? Where is it in your heart that God needs to heal? That wound that you think that I could never let go of this? You might you might say, You have no idea what this person has done to me. You're right. I I don't have any idea, but God knows. That was the reason He sent Jesus. It was good news for people who are in a lot of bad news. It's good news for people who have sinned against, but we're all sinners who have been sinned against. Some in deep ways. I I get that. That's why this is a process, a daily renewal. The Holy Spirit applying the love of Christ over and over again. But are you open to it? Or have you buckled down and just leak out from time to time, not realizing that this is churning lava that God wants to release from you. This is not theory for me. I am a veteran at harboring bitterness. And man, I've talked about it before, but seven years ago, I was in the black hole of bitterness. And my one Christian, or one Christian friend said to me in the midst of that, and I, I still hear this ringing in my ears, there's one person in particular that I was so bitter at And she said, you do realize that if you were held to the standard that you were holding him to, you would be utterly crushed. And I said, that's true. That's true. Man, I'm thankful for grace, as we all should be. So let's allow the Spirit to perfect us in love. Piece by piece, dismantle the anatomy of our anger, open ourselves to the truth of who we are, invite the Spirit in, And God will be faithful in that. Let's pray. Father, even in this text today, um, that you are slow to wanger, that you are kind, that you have not repaid us according to our deeds, but you have lavished us with the love of Christ. Even as a congregation right now, Lord, I, I pray that we can sense that. That your love would almost be like a a stream flowing through this place. And and all the cracks in our hearts that have felt dry and have been eaten away by bitterness, they might be filled up by the stream of love. And Father, we confess we cannot do this on our own. We need your love to be poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's what you said you do. We need you to do that even now. So help me, help my friends. Help us to live beneath the cross. And Father, I'm sure that there are some even in this last hour who have been reminded of some deep pain. I I pray that your spirit would give them wisdom. What do they do with that? I, I pray that if it's some gnarly stuff, that they would find a close Christian brother or sister to walk alongside of them in it. Maybe a Christian counselor, whatever they need, but I pray that you would continue a healing work in our congregation, in all spheres. For your glory, for our joy, in Christ's name.